0: give God praise. He is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. I'm telling you what, this morning when we walked in here, it was just like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Nobody's here. and how? God doesn't need any of this. He doesn't need keyboards. He doesn't even need us as singers. He doesn't need anything at all, but we come in this place and we give back to him because he is worthy of and I don't care what 2020 looked like anymore. I am looking ahead and I'm trusting and believing that God is in control. He's going to do great things. And not just because he can't, you know, he's perfect and he is what he is, but he does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants the best for his children. I believe that. So I just want to sing this this morning. Let's lift it up and let's trust for the fact that God loves us. And regardless of where we've been or what we've done, he will continue to love us into this next year. couldn't earn it. There's nothing we can do to buy that love. Yet you gave anyway, and we're so grateful. We're so thankful for the blessings. We're so thankful for the love. We're so thankful for all that you do, all that you are going to do, and the promise that 2021 holds, because you are God. people said amen you may be seated
1: well it is good to see you this morning and um i don't know about you but just being able to say a different year has already been encouraging yeah. have you caught yourself saying 2020 though because you've said it so many stinking times no, no? <laughs> not, not going to happen not going to happen well happy new year to you i hope that you had a great week and uh we're able to celebrate hopefully a, a year of new beginnings and uh, just a, maybe a year just of reminders, as we just reminded ourselves of the goodness of God to us. And uh, I am so looking forward to a new year and all the prospects um, that, that are uh, in this new year. And so it is good to see you. If you're online with us, we want to welcome you as well. And uh, glad that we have this ability to worship together um, through the, the magic of the internet. So I'm, I'm thankful for the guys that take time to get that set up every week so that we can have um, people joining us online. Hey, listen if you are visiting with us maybe it's been a while since you've been at ashland um here's what i would ask you to do in the uh, pew front right in front of you is a connect card if you would do us a favor and just fill that out and then there is one this morning because we can't find the key to the other one there's one giving box that's right in the back of the auditorium uh, if you came prepared to worship through giving the box is back there as well if you would drop that connect card on in there so we would have a record of your attendance uh, we would greatly appreciate that Or if you're the techie kind, on the pews, there is a QR code kind of scattered throughout the pews. That will take you directly to our digital connect card, also give you some more information about our church and what's up and coming. And so um, there are two avenues, but we would love just to have a record of your attendance and just let you know that we are thankful that you are here with us and uh, thankful that you have chosen to... Uh, worship together with us as well I want to mention just one announcement to you before we uh, spend a little bit more time in worship as you notice right behind us we have a lot of hours not just behind us but all throughout the building hours of work that goes into making the place look appropriate and beautiful for the Christmas season and here comes the downer we have to de or what's the word undecorate I guess Mm -hmm. we need to undecorate and take these things down and if you leave it up to us um, it'll take forever, and so if you are available next Saturday, um, starting at 10 o'clock, really until we get done, um, please try to be here, and we'll we'll take down the, t- uh, the Christmas decor and um, be willing to admit that we are now officially out of the Christmas season, and so we could use some help. Next Saturday, we'll be meeting together at 10. Um, other than that, again, it's good to see you this morning, and uh, we'll look forward to spending some more time in worship and around God's Word. I don't
0: know. We could do Easter trees <laughs> like eggs and crosses and stuff <laughs> I try to do that at home my wife doesn't go for that so anyway well if you feel like standing back up I um, I wanted to end with this song you don't have to stand if you don't want to but I, I just find it's easier for me to worship when I'm standing of course I'm on the platform uh, I, I think that we've spent enough time thinking about all the difficulties that 2020 has had and that's just me personally My wife and I were talking about it New Year's Eve, and she said, you know, for all of the challenges that we had in 2021, we still were able to put food on the table. We still came home to a house that was warm. We have a lot to be thankful for. And that's not because of anything that we've done, but that's just because we serve a gracious God. And so I sang this song last week, and I was at a church in uh, uh, Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Harrisburg. And I was telling these guys this morning, I went to the airport to fly there. And when I got to the airport, the nice woman at American Airlines said, I can let you on your plane, but they're not going to let you off in Pennsylvania unless you have a negative COVID test. Have you had your test? And I said, no, I have not. And she goes, well, they'll quarantine you for 10 days. And no offense to Pennsylvania, but I don't want to be in Pennsylvania for 10 days. So I ended up driving 11 hours one way Saturday. And I'm telling you if the spirit of God did not drive with me the entire way and I listened to praise and worship stuff and I prayed for you guys and for James and for this church 2021 is going to be a great year not because he said anything to me he didn't sit down in the path he was probably there he doesn't care for my driving but just because he's God and he's faithful and I can stand on the promise and know that 2021 is going to be a great year for us. And so I sing this song. I sang it last week, and I want to sing it again this week. Because it's a reminder of me of the goodness of God. So as we sing it this morning, I want you to think about all the great things that He's done. I love you, Lord. God's people said amen you may be seen
1: well I had some issues last week with that wireless mic that I was using breaking in and out and for the people online I'm sure that was interesting to try to guess (laughs) every fifth or sixth word so we played a little game last week called name that word that they missed and um I don't think they knew that they signed up for it when they logged on, so we're going to use this handheld this morning and hope that that eliminates the the breakage in the sound, and we'll continue to work on that as well. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15, if you would. And while you do that, let me... This is going to, This is a really harsh way to start a, a New Year's message, but I'm going to ask you to do something transparently and uh, maybe pull out a scrap piece of paper, grab a pen. Maybe there's one in the pew in front of you. And I want to... Um, Kind of give you just a, um, a little assignment today. And uh, so we'll be in Romans 15 and grab a pen, and grab a, just a scrap piece of paper. And while you do this, though, um, I wanted to say this uh, before we go any farther into service. Um, and that is I, I look right here on this row, right about there. Hey, Peggy, you got, a, you got a pew full right there. And it's good to have Gavin home with us. And uh, so, Gavin, good to see you. I hope you had a good stay. When do you get to go back? Have to go back in two weeks so you get a good stay so it's good to have gavin home with us uh, from the navy and i'm sure that where's mom I, I know mom's happy to have all the boys home right good to have them so gavin's good to have you home and i hope you're doing well there serving our our country and appreciate that greatly um, romans chapter 15 is is where we'll be this morning now can i say three words before we get into your assignment three words i don't know if about you but maybe we need to do a, a collective sigh after saying these three words but here they are Christmas is over, and everybody together just takes a deep breath and relaxes for just a minute. I know that Christmas is exciting. I know the celebration is fun, getting together, exchanging gifts, celebrating the New Year's. Um, All of that is all well and good, but it seems like when you get to the beginning of January, uh, there's a collective sigh of relief. Um, there, there's all of that is behind us. Um, and you've I, I asked the Sunday school class this morning, I'm not sure what it'll look like in here. How many of you stayed up until midnight uh, to ring in this new year? Okay, so uh, maybe a little bit more than half. Let me let me ask, because I know the answer to this, but just for visual sake, how many of you did not stay up till midnight? Okay. Good for you, because <laughs> you know when you wake up, it's still going to be the new year, right? Um, so here's one thing that we did. I don't see any of our kids in here, so this the secret is not spoiled. Um, we were on Central Time when the ball dropped in New York City. And so we, we do this thing in our family where somebody brings a Christmas tree, we lace it with fireworks, and we blow up the Christmas tree. And then we watch the, the New Year's um, ball drop in New York. But the beauty of it was being on Central Time... Um, we had all the kids watch the ball drop, and they were in bed by 11.15. So we snuck in an extra 45 minutes on them, and they were none the wiser. And so we got to still watch the ball drop, ring in the new year, and still not have to stay up until midnight. It was a great loophole that we found in the system. But I don't know about you, but going into a new year always is a little exciting. Um, Still, as of yet, not real sure what this year is going to look like. 2021 is still a little bit unpredictable. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how long it's going to be until um, normalcy to some degree is restored. Um, But I'm going to tell you this. uh, I I do believe, as Jody mentioned already, I think God has great things in store, not just for the church, but for uh, the furtherance of the gospel this year. And, And I'm excited to see how that works out. I'm excited to see God continue to do something great, especially through this local church. So to get things ready, uh, I'm going to dovetail off of last Sunday morning. So if you were not here, this may not make a whole lot of sense, but I shared with you a story about a man by the name of William Booth, who is the founder, the founder of the Salvation Army, and being unable to attend a conference, he sent a one-word message to address the constituent the, what is that word? constituency that had gathered together, and the word was others we can focus on anything for the next year to focus on others would help us understand that's a little bit about what god has called us to do it is a selfless sacrificial others first mentality that would represent what christ would have us to do so last week when we talked about that word others the beauty of the fact that we are loved by god is not just so that we can be the recipients of love but that we can in turn love other people we are loved so that we can love and I know that last Sunday, as we started studying this one another study, what does that look like? Uh, there are over a hundred times in the Bible where, this, where, where God says either do this one to another or don't do this one to another, and we're not going to study all of them, but last week was a really difficult one. Last week was a challenging one as we looked at Galatians chapter 5, and the idea there is to bear one another's burdens. Go through life together with transparency and honesty, knowing this, that this community of believers that we call the church is not just somewhere to gather together on Sunday morning, but is in fact a family that goes through the struggles and the good times of life together and sometimes... It gets messy, sometimes it's sloppy, sometimes it means we have to hear details about somebody else's life. We may not necessarily be um, too excited about hearing, but part of doing life and loving others is carrying the burdens that each one of us carry, but doing it together. The key word is others. So I have an assignment for you to begin Now you can do this mentally. You can pull out a a notepad on your phone or or jot it down. And I'm going to, here it is, I'm going to be totally honest with you. This is a tough two-question survey. I don't want you to share your answers with the person next to you. I don't want you to cheat off the person next to you. There are no right or wrong answers to this quiz whatsoever. But I want you to be honest. Here's what I'd like for you to do. As you review the Christmas season this year, would you please just make a list of, all, of the, all the things that you did this Christmas season. Again, it's not going to be exhaustive. You may have to go home and continue this list. All of the things that you did for Christmas might have been things that you uh, baked, things that you bought, places that you went, company that you hosted. It's not going to be exhaustive, but I want you to write down what comes to mind, and I should have had you play like the, the Jeopardy song or something like that just to give you a little bit of time, but write down just a couple things. What comes to the forefront of your mind when you consider all of the things that went into the Christmas season? Okay? Now you can keep jotting them down, but here's the next step in the quiz, and it's right there in front of you. I want you to go back over that list of things that you did, and I want you to place one check mark next to the items that you did for others. Maybe you had a meal for somebody else. Maybe you did help us give gifts To uh, some of the hurting families in our community. Maybe maybe you did, I don't know, wrap somebody else's gifts because you're like me and you can't do it to save your life. Now I want you to do this. This is where it gets a little tough. I want you to place two check marks next to the items that were done for others outside of my family. We can all agree that doing things for our family comes kind of as second nature. It's oftentimes easier because we know them, we love them, we get together with them. But here's the, here's the problem, and it's not just the way that we celebrate Christmas. I'm afraid it's the way that we live life through the church. And that is this idea that there might be a lot of single check marks on our list because the things that we do is for immediate family, is... is concentrated on, especially when it comes to the life of the church, it's focused on the people in this room or the people that may be online that would normally be with us on a Sunday morning, because again, it is natural and we understand why it is that we do things for other people, especially the people in our family, but what happens What happens to a church family when our focus gets so concentrated and our definition of others is simply people we go to church with? What happens to our ability to to reach a community for Christ when all we can see are the people right here in front of us Sunday after Sunday after Wednesday after Sunday and we forget that a definition of others would also include people that we may not know. Because there may not be a whole lot of two check marks, and please understand this, don't shame and guilt yourself over that. That is understandable, it is natural, and it is normal. But my, my encouragement for us is to go back to last week, and let's focus on this word of others. And if we are going to be others-centric, we are going to be focused on others, that list needs to branch out and include people that are total strangers, People that we may not know, people we may not understand their backstory, people we may never even again have opportunity to meet, and yet we have a desire to love them. Because why? Because God loved us. Now listen again. That's a hard question. That's why I told you don't share your answers. We don't have to exchange them. Nothing like that. It's just a, a it's a it's a little introspective peek at our definition of what others is all about. Because I'm afraid that church has become about others but it can't leave the building if that makes sense. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Now, the instruction is there is, is very simple. Love is the command. And I know that that's a, it's, a, it's a term that we, we may not always understand and we may not always exemplify, but that is the command. Christ is the example, but the purpose of love is this, it's for others. Now when you look at John chapter 13, you see that the, the instruction, the command is that we should love each other in this room as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family. Having the common bond of a relationship with our God, we love each other, not just for the sake of loving each other, though. What does the rest of the verse say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So you understand, before we go any farther, before we even get to Romans 15, our ability to love each other is a distinct communication of our ability to love the world. Listen, if you can't love somebody in this room, you're going to have a hard time loving somebody out there that we don't see eye to eye with. It will be a constant fight. So a demonstration of Christ's love that happens here extends then beyond those doors when you walk out of here, and it should look like others is the purpose of our love. So we are loved so that we in turn can love others. So the question that we've been trying to answer beginning last week, what does that look like? What does it look like to love somebody else? Last week, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What happens? Bear ye, here's the one another, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, one of the ways we demonstrate a love for each other and ultimately to the world is we choose to love one another by bearing each other's burdens. And I made this statement and we'll make it again just kind of as a springboard into our, our study in Romans 15. Too often do we throw other Christians, other members of our family to the wolves because because of sin, because of disagreement, and we kick them while they're down instead of doing what God calls us to do, and we restore. May we be a church that is not willing to throw in the towel on somebody just because they mess up. Why? Because guess what? You messed up this past week, like it or not. I messed up this past week, like it or not. And just because there is any type of sin in a person's life does not mean we throw the towel in on them and we're done with them. No, actually, what the Bible says in Galatians 5 is is that we are involved in this ministry of restoration. I see that you're carrying a burden of sin. I see that you're carrying a burden of struggle in your life. I'm not going to kick you while you're struggling. I'm going to come alongside of you, and I'm going to help you carry that burden so that you can be restored to a right relationship with others or to a right relationship with God. See, the art of restoration is gone. But it's biblical. So love seeks restoration of those parts of the family who are broken because of burdens that they bear. Now, you might think, well, that was just one verse. I didn't have time last week to go through all of these, but listen to this. Philippians 2, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See that theme there? It's others focused. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no man then set his own advantage as his objective, but rather the good of his neighbors. Other focused. Why? Because true Christian love is others purposed, not selfishly motivated. So what in the world does that look like today? Well, that's where we come to Romans chapter 15, and what I'd like to do is start in verse number one with you. We're going to read down to verse number six, but we're kind of going to hop around in this this section of scripture. I'd I'd like to, to formulate the argument, if you will, but kind of begin at the end of this section of scripture, really in verse number five, and work our way back to verse number one to try to make sense of it. But let's start with verse number one, Romans chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to the edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written with our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one to another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we find really it's in, in, in verse number, what was that? Verse number five. We have the one another statement there in verse five. But I want to look at the entire surrounding verses and really work our way through the chapter, if you will, in the time that we have left. What does it look like? What is the one another statement? How do we love one another? Well, the first thing you find, and it's found out in verse number five, is that God calls us, and Paul calls us in Romans 15, to a point of agreement one with another. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be, here's the word, like-minded one to another. Like-minded is the idea of agreement according to Christ Jesus. It is thinking the same thing, But it's not limited to just thinking the same thing, but it includes our affections. We we have similar loves. It is an act of the will. It is moral considerations. Can I tell you what thinking the same thing is not? It's not always having the same opinions. We are are not called to a place where we think the same thing about everything, opinion-related, because I'm going to give you an opinion right now that's going to get me in trouble. It is hot in here. I'm roasting right now. That's my opinion. You may not agree, but I'm about to fall over right now because it is roasting in here. But it's my opinion. I'm not asking you to be like-minded, to to, to think the same thing, but I am telling you it is hot, like it or not. It's burning hot. But here's the idea in the scriptures. Put simply, like-mindedness is the loving agreement in thought and in actions that we direct toward others that would be Christ-like. It is looking at somebody else and thinking, literally, what would Jesus have me to do with that person or that situation? So when you review, and and this chapter deals with it a little bit more, when you review that idea of somebody that is is struggling in life, maybe not even with sin, but maybe they're just struggling, our response should be like-minded with that person, and that is that we as a collective whole, we are not going to kick somebody to the curb just because they made a poor decision and we disagreed with it. We're going to be like-minded in that we are going to approach that individual with Christ-likeness. And if restoration is needed, fine, let's do it. If edification, do we need to build that person up and encourage them? If so, fine. That's the like-mindedness. See, Paul says that we must be unified in like-mindedness. So the question then is, what does that entail? What does it look like? Well, you go back to verse number one, and it looks like this. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. So we figure out agreement. It's to be like-minded, and then we have to act it out. So I want to do this. Let's do a few, really just four. Four different words we need to define, okay? What does it look like to act out agreement? Well, first of all, the first word you find in verse number one that's interesting is this idea of strong. We that are strong has the idea of being capable i'm able to do something it is not a reference to spiritual arrival it is not a reference to thinking that we have this thing called christianity all figured out therefore if anybody needs help i am sufficient to provide help because i know all the answers truth be told us together collectively don't have all the answers and so the idea of strength is the idea of I am capable. It ties into the Galatians 5 passage that we looked at last week where the Bible says, ye which are spiritual, you are able, you have a walk with God, you are conscious of what God's Spirit would have you to do in a situation. You who are able, you who are spiritual, what does it say? You ought. Now, I think that's a neat word. I know we've mentioned it in the, in the past couple weeks, but the idea of ought is a financial term. It is an indebtedness. Ought is, a, is a, an idea of I owe a debt to somebody or I have a strong obligation to someone. So those who are strong are indebted to those who are weak, those who are unable to do what? What is the active word in verse number one? If we diagrammed it, I don't even know what it would look like, but we have to find the verb in the sentence. What are we that are strong, what are we indebted to the weak to do? To bear. What does it mean to bear? It means to, to pick up a burden. Now, I, I brought my bag down there, but I'm on a short leash, so you get the idea. It has the idea of if somebody is carrying a burden, that somebody else comes alongside of them, and they carry it for them because they are more able to do it. How many of you traveled in the past week? Okay, went out of town, maybe you went somewhere. How many of you packed way too much stuff to go wherever it is you were going? Okay, so I can, I can use this illustration because she raised her hand. How many of you have a bag that is really um, unfair? It, it really—why do they make a bag that big? Because it's impossible to move. I mean, do you do you ladies have that bag that, like ours, is so large that it fits human people and clothes, and then it has this extra zipper on the side that it expands to make it larger, as if it wasn't big enough to begin with? We can actually make this thing go wider. But the problem with that suitcase is it's missing one of the wheels. It has three of the four wheels, and last I checked, I think the wheel is there, but it's broken, so as you drag it across the ground, that wheel buckles, and then it drags across, and where we were, there was an ice storm, so everything's melting, the bottom of the bag gets wet, the contents inside get wet, and here's the crazy thing is, if I had said, you know what, today I am not willing to load the van, Weston, my four-year-old, go grab mom's bag, take it to the van, could he do it? It is a burden that is greater than anything that he can handle. So what happens? The one who is able to, may not be really willing to, but the one who is able to comes alongside of Wesson. I grab that massive purple bag, and I drag it to the car, pick it up, and place it in, and the mission has been accomplished. We have loaded the van. That is the idea of Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Sometimes life throws at us burdens that we cannot carry by ourselves. Sometimes the struggle is so real and so heavy that we are unable to carry that burden. And so God says, you who are strong, you who are able, you are indebted to that person to come alongside of them and to make sure that they make it through. The problem with that is, was a little little statement that I gave you. I may not have been willing to help Weston carry that bag, but I did See, the problem with this is the fact that we may not want to help someone that's under a burden. Why? Because it gets our hands dirty. We have to get down in the trenches with that person, and we have to invest in them time and energy. And, And let's be honest, if there's a phrase that we overuse, it's, I don't have time for fill in the blank for whatever it is. And so when you come back to our text, then, you who are strong, you owe a debt. You have a strong obligation to that weak person to come and bear that burden. What is Paul teaching us? So I don't know if you knew this or not, but I taught school um, and was a quasi-administrator of a Christian school for years, and some of the things that we did that would drive students nuts was have a pop quiz. We're going to have a pop quiz real quick, and I want you to answer in your mind which one you think would be the correct answer. It's a multiple choice, so you get really a 33% chance of getting it right. When you see someone who is struggling under the weight of an infirmity, call it sin, call it poor decisions, call it whatever you want, but they are struggling underneath the weight of a burden. Which one of those options on the screen are yours? Do you, A, become critical of them and say things like, well, they made their bed, now they got to sleep in it? Do we, do we criticize and, and think, well, I would have never done that. I, sh- you know, I would have known better. Why didn't they come and ask me? I would have told them how to figure it out. And, and maybe our response is to criticize the place where they are. Listen, does criticism help them get out of their, their burden weight? No, it's not going to help them. If anything, it's kicking them while they're down. And again, we are a unique breed as Christians who have mastered the art of kicking other Christians while they're down. Are we condescending towards them? Do we try to belittle the state where they're in? Well, I know that this weight is heavy to you, but you should have heard what I went through last year. Your your story doesn't stand a chance when you compare mine. or, Or do we get to letter C? Are we considerate enough to come alongside of them and pick up that burden for them? Which one of those would be our answer naturally and which one of those should be the answer biblically? Listen, if we said A or B, I'll tell you this, what Paul says in verse number, verse number two is exactly right. Let every one of us please his neighbor. If we said A or B, our desire is self. I want to be happy. I don't have time for that other person. I don't want to get my hands dirty in that situation. I don't know. And we make all these excuses and all these reasons not to get involved in the lives of others. But here it is. If C is our answer, which I pray that it is that we understand that helping the struggling isn't for us, but it is for them to God's glory. Reference verse number two. Our goal in life is not to please ourselves. It is to serve others. So here it is. We who can help those who are struggling owe it to them to do so. But the problem is we may not feel adequate enough. Maybe we don't consider ourselves to be strong enough. Maybe we just don't want to get our hands dirty in the drama of other people's lives, because let's be honest, we all have our own drama. So I want to make one more statement here, and we'll move on. We need to look at this word in verse number one. We then who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Can we talk about this idea of infirmities? We sometimes refer to this as sin. We refer to this as um, um, maybe it's the result of a poor decision. But can I say this? There may be a third application to the word infirmity that I would like for you to consider. The idea here of infirmity may be a connection to a religious practice that they are familiar with and still sensitive about. Does that make sense? you got to remember that Paul is writing to a a society and a culture that may still have their roots kind of extending from a a pagan worship or an unbiblical worship. And some of those practices, they may try to, and they do in 1 Corinthians, try to drag them into the biblical church. And Paul says, listen, you got to understand that for them, that is a burden that they have to carry because they don't know any better. This is the way they were raised. They were brought up in this church, and so when they come to a Bible-believing church, they may want to hang on to some of those things that were traditionally believed to be true. And they bring that into their new relationship with God because, again, they they have not had the opportunity to learn and to discern what is biblical and what is not. I mean, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, we had someone visit our service, and after the service, they said they were attending a church that, that um, observed the Lord's Supper every single week. They didn't understand that. And then obviously, we don't even do it at all right now because of COVID, and even if we do, we do it so quarterly or so. And so for them, it was trying to figure out, okay, this is the way I've always seen it done, and whether it's right, whether it's wrong, let's look at this biblically, and then, I mean, what could have been the response? Well, that's dumb. Why would they do that? I mean, that's that's a waste of money. Why would they buy the elements every single week? There could have been a lot of reactions. I could have criticized. Could have been condescending. But here's what the problem is. I could have said, well, you know, bless your heart. You ever heard that phrase? Bless your heart. That's the southern version of an insult. That is kind of a uh, back backhanded comp. But bless your heart. you'll get to where I am and I know that's not the intention but I believe especially addressing Roman Christians Paul's address here is to remind them that just because they are a new Christian doesn't mean they have this whole thing figured out and when they when they step into your church First Baptist Rome or whatever it would have been called, when they come into your church, be careful to carry the infirmities with them. Don't criticize or be condescending because this is all they've known up to this point. Listen, do you realize today there are over 200 listed denominations of churches? 200 I don't know the exact number. I think they just stopped counting at some point because there's so many. And we wonder why there's so much confusion out there. So if somebody comes in here and asks us about infant baptism, and and we we could criticize, we could put down and say, well, that's crazy and, and make all these different statements. Or we can show them from the word of God why it is that we believe that there's no place for that in Christianity. This is what Paul says that we teach the truth in love. And so for some, it's just, this is their background, they don't know any better, and let me encourage you, this is totally um, um, preventative maintenance. Let's be careful when somebody comes in and their background may be somewhere that is uh, um, more traditionally based, and our response might be to be critical or condescending of, but may we be Christians who come alongside of them and say, I understand where you're coming from. Let me show you what the Bible says. This is why we believe what we believe. I know that you may have observed Um, I'm throwing that out there for no apparent reason, but infant baptism, this is what God's word says. This is why we do it this way. See the difference? Be wise in how you handle a discussion with someone from another denomination or background. Now, go back to the text. Side note over. Hmm, Verse number five. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded. One toward another according to Christ Jesus. Okay, so when you get back to verse number five, we understand why Paul mentions two aspects of God to be of assistance in this process. If I'm going to be a person that comes alongside of and gets in the trenches with somebody who is struggling underneath the burdens of life, we have to focus on two aspects of God to be able to do so successfully. Number one is God is patient. Because listen, anytime you work with people, it demands patience. Picking up the weak can try your patience, especially when it seems like it's the same person that constantly dominates your time and energy. But I would remind you that it is worth it. And then we're reminded that God is consoling. God helps us help others. So what does being loved to love look like? It agrees with one another that when someone weak is struggling, we who are strong, we who are spiritual, will back them up will help carry the weight of that load. Why? Because the ultimate goal is not to please ourselves. It's not even to please others. But as verse number six says, that you may with one mind inwardly and one mouth outwardly glorify God. That's the end goal. Lord, we want you to be glorified in everything that takes place. Now you come to verse seven. So we accept one another we agree with one another in the first six verses, look at verse seven. Wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So we, um, we agree in the first six verses, and then in verse number seven, we learn that we are required to accept one another. And we need to wrestle through this verse just for a moment. Why does Paul feel the need to follow up the instruction of agreement concerning the treatment of weaker people with the the reasoning of accepting them as well. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Listen, if I am willing to agree that my role is to um, assist someone, then obviously I'm going to accept them. Let me tell you this. That is not necessarily the truth. Just because we help somebody doesn't mean we are accepting to them. Let's, let's paint it this way. Let's answer this question with a different question. Is it possible to try to avoid helping others by not accepting them into our lives and, and maybe our circle of friends? Is it possible, better yet, to try to help people but not befriend them? I will I will help solve your problem, but that's going to be it. The end of this relationship is the end of your problem, nothing more, nothing less. Maybe we could say it this way and this will this maybe we'll connect the dots. Is it possible that the church can be full of in-laws? <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are in agreement that we are the same family, but that doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. Is that possible? Is it possible to try to help fix people but not develop a relationship with them? See, fixing is one directional. It's me looking at you saying, You have a problem, I can fix you. But it's me denying that I have problems that you might be able to help me with. There's a difference between fixing and restoring. There's a difference between restoring and relationships. Those two go hand in hand. So think about this. When you look at the, the instruction here, Paul adds an additional layer to the agreement. Not only are we going to agree that we owe it to the weaker to help them through because we've been loved to love, I'm going to accept them. Because here's the fact, when we were weak and in need of someone stronger to come and pick me up, what does the text say in verse number 7? Wherefore, receive you, one another, as how? What's the example? As Christ. As Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I want to work that verse backwards. I know I I see the clock. I know what time it is. I want to work through verse number seven backwards. When you think about the fact, and we just sang it, that that at one point in our lives there was a great spance that was created between ourselves and a holy God. When you consider that holiness was over here and there was an uncrossable chasm a a separation between he which is holy god and we who are unholy there was only one solution to that problem and that could be provided by god alone that's it The separation was too vast that there was anything that we could have ever done to try to bridge the gap between God's holiness and our unholiness. Listen to me. We all are sinners. We might as well accept that fact before we walk out of here because it's true. Every one of us in this room are sinners, and we will fight that nature until the day that we die. And so because of that sin nature, because of our sin, because we think and we say and we do things that brings displeasure to God, it creates a separation between myself and a holy God because God cannot be in the presence of or cannot even look upon sin. And so whereas we might try to concoct a way to be able to bridge that separation between ourselves and God, truth is we can't. We cannot earn, we cannot bridge that separation. And so here's what verse number seven says, even though there was a separation, even though God sits in perfection and holiness and we are simply sinful people, the Bible says in verse number seven, we were received because of what Christ did for us. Well, what did Christ do? The Bible says that Jesus came and he was born as we just celebrated a few weeks ago, but it wasn't just his birth, it was what would take place some 33 years later as he hangs on the cross for the payment for our sin, and then three days later he raises again to prove that he is God and victorious over death. Listen to me, that's what Christ did for us, and the Bible says that if we place our faith in Christ the debt of our sin has been paid because of what Christ did on our behalf, and we have been accepted by him. Not because of what I've done, but because my faith is in someone greater, someone stronger. Remember the whole picture with moving furniture or uh, uh, luggage with my four-year-old? He couldn't have done it on his own. He needed someone stronger. The same thing is true in Christianity. Christianity. We are a weak people, susceptible to sin constantly, and we needed someone stronger. The only person that could have done that was Christ himself. And when we decide that we are going to place our faith in Christ as our Savior, as the one who can provide for us forgiveness of sins, the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. So in that manner, think about this, there is not a gap that is greater than the one that existed between yourself and a holy God. Nothing would be greater than that. But then when you go back to our verse, then if that is what Christ did for us, where the gap was unbridgeable by anything that we could have done, then why is it that we cannot go alongside of someone who is weak and in need as we were and do as Christ did for us and help that person out of that burden-bearing situation? If Jesus can step over that massive of a gap, then surely we can as well. Because listen, what separates me from you is not nearly as severe. Remember the study that I mentioned last week in the book called Unchristian? He said this It is hard to overestimate how firmly people feel rejected by Christians. It's also hard to overestimate how firmly Christians feel rejected also by other Christians. And that's sad. So loving one another requires us to accept one another in love without reservation and without judgment. Sure. Now listen. Is there a place for division? Okay. Yes. (laughs) So don't miss that point. Sometimes there are doctrinal issues that Paul encourages us to divide over. It's not what we're talking about. I am talking about the necessity to come along somebody who is overtaken in a fault, someone who is under the burden of life. That's not the time to divide. That's not time to kick them down and make them further isolated. Acceptance. Well, look at verse 14 of the same chapter, and we'll be done. The Bible calls us to agreement, like-mindedness, that when somebody's overtaken, we come alongside of them, that we can accept them. It's more than just a project. It is a person. And then you come to verse 15, verse 14 of chapter 15, and the call there is for admonishing one another. Here's what the text says. And I myself also am persuaded of you my brethren, that you, are all, all, um, that you also are full of goodness with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So there's a responsibility that's given. You are able. This ties us back into verse number one where we found the word strong. You are able to do something about it. We've already defined this word. And Paul says as he's writing to the church in Rome, you are able to do something about this. You're strong enough. To do what in verse number 14? It says, I am persuaded that you are able, because you're full of goodness and full of knowledge, to admonish one another. There's the demonstration of love. It is the willingness to put something into the mind of someone else, to instruct, to warn, to counsel. The best way I could think to illustrate this was to go all the way back to high school. And in those times when, you, when the, the season was ramping up to prom, one of the things that they would do at our school, maybe others, I don't know, but one of the things that they would do in our school was to um, try to detract students from drinking and driving by taking a car and dropping it literally on the campus of the high school so that when you drive out of the, out of the exit, you see that visual reminder that this car was destroyed and maybe somebody's life inside because of a choice to drink and to drive. It was a preemptive visual reminder that this could be the outcome of your poor decision this prom season. Here's what Paul is saying. He is convinced that the Christians in Rome are strong enough not only to agree, not only to accept one another, but to admonish each other. Why? Because they are full of goodness. Do you see that at the end of verse number 14? They are full of active goodness. They practice what they preach. Do you see that hypocrisy earns you the ability to minister to other people? And then the Bible says that they were filled with knowledge. They knew God's word. Can I tell you this? Biblical admonition stems from an overflow of God's word in your life. If you feel inadequate to encourage somebody from God's word because you don't know it enough, I mean, there's only one logical conclusion to that. Spend more time with God and his word. If you need some tools to help with that, that's why we're here. We can help you with that. But listen, biblical admonition stems from God's word, and it never begins with I think or I feel like. I mean, we've used those words, and we've kicked that around quite a bit. Listen, these believers in Rome were doctrinally sound. They knew how to do things right, and they did it. And so my encouragement to you this morning is this. Are we willing to commit... Are we willing to agree that our responsibility is to come along each side of each other, to accept each other, but also sometimes to admonish? To speak into someone's life the truth of God's word. Maybe maybe totally just preemptive, maybe just something that would be precautionary of sorts, but I'm willing to speak into your life according to God's word. Because that's what family does. I mean, how many times have you talked to a loved one, and, and maybe you saw on the horizon a direction that they were headed that could have been unwise and you addressed it Why? not because you wanted to be better than them not because you wanted to respect because you love them enough to say something and unfortunately i'm not sure that we do that enough because we don't want to get into the mess of life with others can i tell you this morning we were loved by god so that we can in turn love others We were loved to love. What does it look like? It's burden bearing. It's not kicking people while they're down. It's not writing them off because they made a poor choice. It's understanding that I could have just as well been that person and probably was. Therefore, instead of kicking the person that's down, I am going to love them. Correct where correction is needed. Restore where restoration is needed. I have been loved to love. Father, we thank you for kind of a continuation from last sunday god i know that there are many in this room that over the years of their life they have invested into the lives of others and god as we let off this discussion with that one word message that was delivered um, there at the uh, at the at the gathering at the convention the the one word message was others the salvation army and, and christianity should revolve around others God, I, I know that we get busy. I know that, that life has a lot of demands on us. God, we we worry about things and we get consumed with our needs and our wants and our desires. But God, help us. Maybe, maybe that's the, the theme for 2021. Maybe this should be the year of others. Not trying to win an argument, not trying to win a debate with other people. But God, maybe it's just figuring out ways to love on them. Lord, there's not a soul in this room that can convince others to agree with us about all of our opinions and thoughts. But that's why we come back to your word and we hear from you. That's all we need. So God, this morning I pray that maybe even in this time we would stop and we would consider um, the separation that's created by our sin with God. Maybe this morning we have had very little chance to hear from your word. Maybe we church services isn't part of our normal Sunday morning routine, and, and maybe we've never stopped to consider the fact that, yeah, I am a sinner that is in need of a Savior, and I can't do anything to bridge that gap. That you can have no relationship with unholiness and sin because of your holiness, and yet you still demonstrated your love to us by sending your Son to bridge that gap. So that when you look at us, you don't see our sin anymore, but our sin has been forgiven by what Christ has done and you see the righteousness of Christ instead. Maybe this morning we need to stop and consider placing our faith in you for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can know we're on our way to heaven, so that we can know that we are no longer an enemy of God, but in fact we are now a member of God's family. God, I pray if there is one person here this morning that has never asked you to forgive them of your sins, of their sins, and to take them to heaven someday, God, may today be that day. For the rest of us, Lord, this is, it's tough. We have almost been conditioned to think that our role is to come to church on Sunday, and we punch in and punch out at the time clock in the back, and and, and then we go on to the remainder of our week to do whatever it is that we have scheduled. And God, we lose sight of the fact that you have called us to be others-focused. Maybe in 2021, we need to double down on outreach and we need to recommit ourselves to finding ways to love other people, not just the ones that are easy for us to love, but maybe even for those that are a little bit more difficult. Sure, we need to love each other in this room. By this shall all men know that we're your disciples because we love one another. There's a unity here. But God, may this unity here in this place spread to have gospel impact on our community. Yet even even in ridiculously crazy years like we've experienced. So Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness to us. But God, we need to spend a minute and commit this year to loving others as we have been loved by you, God, help us not to be so blinded by our own needs and desires that we miss opportunities to share the love of Christ with somebody else, to meet a need, so that we might help them meet a spiritual need. So, God, this morning, would you please this this first Sunday of 2021, please do a work on our hearts that we might be others-focused, and we would see Your kingdom increased. Not for our glory, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, but to their benefit, to your glory.